Good morning, Redemption Gateway. Ooh, it is great to be with you guys. Man, I am so glad to be here. We at Redemption Tempe are very inspired by the things that God is doing in your life and through your life as a congregation here. And we're excited to be sister congregations in this broader church family of redemption. I know I am a newer lead pastor myself, and I've been learning a ton from Luke Simmons, your lead pastor, and just how to do this well. Uh, Seth Trout has been setting my theology straight. And... The, <laughs> And Vicki Deemer here has been helping us learn how to care well for the hurting and the fullness of their stories. And so, man, we are so grateful for you and to be church family together. All right, well, Tom Brady was an unlikely king of the NFL. He was drafted 199th, which if you're not a huge football player, that's not good, right? It was like sixth round. He didn't go to the right college or play by the system. Uh, Frank Schwab, a sports writer, said this week, among the greatest athletes in American team sports, Tom Brady took the unlikeliest and most doubted road. And yet he is now the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. Won seven Super Bowls, the NFL's all-time leader in passing yards and touchdowns. At age 43, he switched teams and was still able to lead his team to the Super Bowl. Yet Brady is a strange king. He didn't fit the mold of what many people expected the uh, uncontested king of the NFL would look like. And as a matter of fact, as Steve Mariucci, a former uh, head coach in the NFL, was reflecting on why they missed him in the NFL draft. And he says this, he said, we were looking on the outside. We didn't open up his chest and look at his heart. We didn't look at that. I don't know if anybody did what kind of spine he had and resiliency and all the things that are making him really great right now. We're looking at the outward appearance, but we weren't looking at the heart and the spine that would one day reveal, one day be revealed. Well, Jesus is a strange king. He's a strange king. We're going to be in John chapter 18 today. And one of the things that we see is that Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate is inspecting him and trying to make sense of what kind of king this is because he doesn't fit the mold. Jesus doesn't fit the expectations and the assumptions Pilate has of what a king should be. Now, Pilate is the governor. He is in charge. And so it's kind of like uh, these two kings facing off against one, one another. And one, which very, Pilate very much represents the kingdoms of this world. And yet Jesus represents a strange kingdom that doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't fit Pilate's categories. And for many of us today, it doesn't fit many of our categories today. And as Pilate looks at Jesus, Jesus doesn't have the right background. He's from Nazareth. Jesus doesn't play by the rules of the system. Jesus would have been like the 199th pick in the messianic draft, right? For Israel's leaders, if they're looking at who, who can take us all the way to win the championship, who can put us on top, Jesus would not have been their pick. But what John is going to do in this passage this morning, he's going to open up Jesus' chest so that we can see his spine that he has, the resiliency in the heart that he has that is one day going to be revealed. Jesus is the uncontested, rightful ruler of all of heaven and earth. Let's open up and read John 18, beginning in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters. They're on Pilate's turf right now. And he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? 
Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? What have you done? Jesus is a strange king. The first things we see here is that Jesus is a strange king. He doesn't make sense to Pilate's categories. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And yet, when it comes to the categories Pilate has for kingship, Jesus looks different. He is peculiar. He is surprising. He is a strange king. Pilate is asking what kind of king Jesus is, and this is not who he expects. For Pilate, for someone to claim to be king of the Jews means that they are a revolutionary, a messianic hopeful, because they, they have a king. Herod is the king of the Jews. There has been a long line of those who have sought to become the king and lead Israel to victory over Rome. And so this is loaded language. It is the language of revolution. And Pilate's number one job description is to protect Rome from potential threats. And so the reason Pilate is interrogating Christ right now is that he wants to know, is he a threat? I've been told that you are king of the Jews. Your own people have handed you over to me as someone who is apparently inciting revolution and all. And yet, as he's looking at him, he's going, you don't make sense in my categories of kingship. Now, Jesus faces a dilemma here. If he answers, yes, I am the king of the Jews, then he should be put to death as a threat to the Roman Empire. And yet, this misunderstands the nature of his kingship. And yet if he answers no, he's lying because he is the true and rightful king that God is establishing over God's people. So Jesus tactfully throws the question back in Pilate's court. Who's asking, right? Like, who told you this? Are you saying this over your own accord or someone else? Who's asking? And he knows his own people are behind it. Pilate responds, am, am I a Jew? Like, it's your own people that have handed you over me. And he's going, what have you done? What is it that you've done that has brought you to this place where I have to find out whether or not you are a threat? Pilate cannot make sense of what kind of king Jesus is. Now, if I'm being honest, I don't blame Pilate because I think many of us, we can have a hard time making sense too of what kind of king Jesus is. You and I, we will tend to try and fit Jesus into our own categories of kingship. So for some of us, I believe we have uh, Jesus as the Avengers king, right? Jesus is the Avenger king who shows up and beats up all the bad guys, shows up in power and kind of demolishes everyone who stands against us and establishes what is good and what is right, what is true, just kind of right in, in the moment. And what do you do though when the bad guys seem to be winning? when the enemy and your circumstances and things that are coming around against you and you go, Jesus, I thought you were the Avenger King who was going to come, but where, where, where are you? And maybe sometimes we feel like we need to defend you. So we're going to go and fight and be the Avenger for him. And then we kind of look and it's like, we're trying to take over everything for God. And then we look back and we're just like, dude, Jesus, you're not even behind me. You're a strange King. I think others of us can try and turn Jesus into the good vibes King, right? This is big in our culture, the good vibes thing where, uh, man, Jesus is here to uh, make your life comfortable, to kind of help you uh, become your, your inner self, your truest self, express the world. He's here to give you your best life now. But what happens when hard times hit? When the bank account runs empty? Or you get that 
diagnosis in the doctor's office. And you're kind of going, Jesus, I, I thought you were the good vibes. I gave my life to you. And you find yourself at a spot where Jesus cares more about your character than your comfort. You go, this is a strange king. Others, I think, we want Jesus to be the homecoming king, right? The homecoming king where he's the most popular, everybody loves him, and uh, man, we long for, uh, and there have been times and places where, man, the, the culture loves Jesus, everybody loves Jesus, we love, and we feel like our goal is to be his PR campaign, and we kind of want everyone to see, you know, look, let's, let's make him as popular as possible. But what happens when the surrounding culture doesn't find Jesus that compelling? When the church doesn't look that relevant. We can be kind of going, Jesus, I thought, I thought you were the homecoming king. I thought you were supposed to help me get my, 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 my clout in, in society by actually being identified with you because everyone loves you. But now you're doing things that are weird and are strange and you're calling me to do things that are weird and are strange. And I don't know that I like not being in the limelight anymore because I was hoping to be up next on the stage with you as homecoming king. And now I don't know. Jesus, you are a strange king. Jesus is a strange king. He doesn't fit your categories. He doesn't fit my categories. He doesn't fit the worldly categories we bring to kind of put him in. He doesn't fit the mold. He breaks our boxes. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is not the king you expected. He may not even be the kind of king you want, but Jesus is the king that you need. He is Strange because this is the king who will lay down his life for you. The reason that he is before Pilate not answering is he knows he needs to go to the cross because he is laying down his life for you. He has stepped down from his heavenly throne above to give his life. What other king would do that in order to bring you into his kingdom? Jesus is a strange king, but he is just the kind of king that you need. Verse 36, Jesus answers Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus rules a strange kingdom. Find here that Jesus rules a strange kingdom that is not of this world. <clears throat> sometimes when we hear that phrase where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, I think we can misunderstand that sometimes and think that uh, this means Jesus' kingdom is, is otherworldly. It's, it's not, not, not for here, it's for an, another world. And so uh, we can kind of build up this gospel that is sort of escapist and it's all about kind of going to heaven when you die and getting out of Dodge and beam me up, Scotty. Like this world feels like it's just, man, it, it, it's in the wasteland. And so God, get me out of this world to your kingdom that's not of this world. But that is not what Jesus means. All you gotta do is read through the, the whole New Testament. We find Jesus' kingdom, it lays claim on this world. And so it's, it's not, Jesus is not saying that his kingdom is not for this world or that it doesn't lay claim on this world. But what he is saying is that his kingdom, there's a different origin to its authority. And it has a different character 
to it. <clears throat> the origin and the character of Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. It is not of the same nature. When we look at the origin of <clears throat> the Roman Empire's kingdom, it was built on a history of violent coercion. And so uh, there, there was the history of conquering the surrounding nations and through violence and assimilating them into their kingdom. They had what they called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. And this was basically, man, we're going to conquer your neighbors and take their stuff. And man, the punch may hurt you guys when we hit you, but it's going to be worth it when you get brought into the glory of Roman civilization. And yet Jesus is going, the origin of my kingdom is not from that history and it's not from Caesar back in Rome's palace. The origin of my kingdom is from God. God who creates his world, not through violence and coercion, but creates and gives us his good creation out of his own generosity and lavish goodness. And creates us in his image to rule and reign with him. Jesus, well, my kingdom its origin is from a different place. It's from God. And Jesus is saying, my character of my kingdom is different. He goes, if my kingdom were of this world, then my followers would be fighting for me. They'd be using violence and coercion. But just earlier, you saw probably last week where uh, Jesus stops Peter from using a sword. Peter's like, I, I'm going to cut off the guy's ear. I'm going to take it. I'm going to defend you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, Peter, his own people, you're misunderstanding the nature of my kingdom. That's not how this thing is going to get established. Jesus' kingdom is not established by the love of power, but rather by the power of love. Let me say that again. The, the kingdoms of this world are established through the love of power, but Jesus' kingdom is established through the power of his love. Napoleon Bonaparte recognizes this. So Napoleon was a... Um, French military leader in the 19th century, he conquered all of Europe. He built this massive empire. And when he reflected, though, on Jesus, he recognized the nature of this kingdom was different. He said this. He said, Alexander, that's Alexander the Great, uh, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself <clears throat> founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. It's so going all three of us, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, myself, like, like the four of us, we have built these massive global empires in history, and they were founded upon our sheer force. <clears throat> but he goes on to contrast saying, Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men will die for him. Millions of men will die for him. Napoleon recognized that Jesus rules a strange kingdom. He recognizes that Jesus' kingdom was built on a different origin and, uh, than the kingdom that Napoleon built. It had a different foundation. It had a different character. And yet Napoleon was going, man, all this time later, all those other empires have, have faded into the dustbin of history. Mine's going to go there too. But Jesus' kingdom, it's still, 2,000 years, it's still going strong that millions would die for him here and now, today. <clears throat> Jesus' kingdom is strange because it is built not on the love of power, but on the power of sacrificial love. You know, <clears throat> you may have heard the question before. Sometimes you often get asked, man, if you could have a meal, if you could have dinner with any president or world leader in history, who would it be? You know, and you're kind of thinking, ah, oh, 
Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Gandhi. I don't know, like, people start thinking of all, all the different world leaders. But what we usually don't do is we usually don't flip that question on the, their, its head and say, would they want to have dinner with you? <laughs> would they want to have dinner with you? Would Napoleon want to sit down and have dinner with you? No, right? <laughs> would Alexander the Great, would they want to have dinner with me? No, right? Because what gets you to their table is being high enough in prestige or wealth or status or class or all those things. What they're looking for at their table is what do you have to bring to me? If you got something to bring to my kingdom, then, hey, I want to bring you here. But Jesus is a strange kingdom. Here's the thing that the, the greatest ruler in all of history, the rightful king of heaven and the earth, his kingdom is strange because he wants you in it. Jesus sets a table to feast with you. Jesus, greater than any of these other, the king of heaven stepped down, came down to earth in order that he could bring you to his table and feast with you and I. This is a strange kingdom. And Jesus came not to force you into his kingdom through coercion, but to win you into his kingdom through sacrificial love. It's a strange kingdom because it has us in it. It's different than the kingdoms of this world. Verse 37, And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Jesus <clears throat> makes us strange citizens. He says here that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Uh, Jesus is saying that these are the kind of people who become citizens of his kingdom. It's those who are of the truth. It's not necessarily those who have the most wealth or power or status or prestige. It's not the folks who are the most religious and can perform their way into God's kingdom. It's not the folks that everybody looks at and applauds and says, look how great they are. Jesus says, the, the people that I am looking for, the people who want to be a part of my kingdom— you can become a citizen if you're a person who is of the truth, a person who is for what is true. Pilate uh, asks a startling question in response. It's kind of famous words echoing down throughout history. He says, what is truth? Pilate sounds like postmodern, I don't know, ASU, uh, we're, we're in Tempe on ASU campus. Yeah, this sounds like the question I hear all the time. What is truth? You know, Pilate's before his time. Pilate's just going, what is truth? And the reality is, it's, Pilate's like, Jesus, should you use in a different category here than the category that I'm building my life upon? Because the reality is, Pilate is about to say multiple times in the next chapter or so, in the, uh, in the next following passage, I find no guilt in this man of Jesus. Pilate is going to recognize that what is true is that Jesus is not guilty. 
And yet what needs to happen is Jesus needs to die. For Pilate, that's because he needs to appease Israel's leaders. He needs to show Rome that he can do the job of keeping the peace in an area. And if they want their pound of flesh, innocent or guilty, that's not the the, the question. Pilate is concerned with pragmatics. Pilate is concerned with what is practical. Pilate's going, man, I find myself in the shifting pressures of what these people want and what these people need, and I have to do what I need to do and do what I can to make life work here and now in this moment. How many of you feel like that at times? How many of you feel the pressures and the shifting sands of culture of our culture? And at times maybe you've got the pressure of just, man, what it feels like these, the, these people, there's these voices in my ear I'm hearing over on this side and they're telling me this is the way I need to think about things and live. And then I've got family members over here and they're telling me this is the way I need to think about things and live. And, and the question starts to not become what is true. The question starts to become what works. What is it that works to kind of keep the peace and live my settled life here and not have anything disrupt my... Because when you are living on the basis of the kingdoms of this world, you are only concerned with what works and with self-preservation and with control and with keeping what you can. But Jesus wants to change the conversation. Jesus is going, I'm not asking you what works. I'm asking you what is true. And are you hungry for the truth? Because my kingdom, Jesus is saying, it's not built on the shifting sands of people's opinions and, and, and shock, shock radio posts and, and different folks who are kind of saying, this is the way you need to think, this is the way you think. Jesus is going, no, what my kingdom is built on is not the opinions of our culture, but is on what is true. Now here's the thing, the kingdoms of this world, when you're in the midst of them, when things are moving and shaking, they feel like a hurricane. Right? Like you can feel like, man, global events and things that are happening. Man, if you, get, if you spin online, it just feels like everything is swirling all around you. You can feel like you're in a hurricane. When you step back and get perspective, what you find is that more, it's more like waves. Right? Alexander the Great's Greek Empire, whew, one wave. Caesar's Rome, whew, another wave. And the question that I believe we should ask is whose kingdom is still standing? Whose kingdom is still standing? As Jesus stands before Pilate in the moment, Rome seems like everything, but today the Roman Empire is gone. You can go and check out its ruins. I've been to the ruins of Rome and you can walk through and you can imagine, man, this was once great. And at the time, this probably felt like everything, but it is gone. It has, the wave has receded back into the ocean. It has gone into the shifting sands of time. Alexander the Great's Greece crumbled when a bigger king of the hill came along. Napoleon this massive thing he built, but quickly, but on a shaky foundation, it crumbled. And I've got news for you. America will not be around forever. I love my country. I'm not saying anything that, but I'm just saying it has an expiration date. And yet the kingdom of God is eternal. 
The kingdom of Christ will reign forever. I love in Daniel 7, he sees this image and this vision. It's this rock comes down from heaven and it strikes the base of this great mountain and the big mountain crumbles into dust, but the little rock grows and becomes this massive, mighty mountain in the world. Daniel's like, do you have to have a bad burrito for dinner? Where'd that dream come from? <laughs> and he asks for the explanation and, and the angel gives him the interpretation. He goes, man, that, that first mountain, that's like the kingdoms of this world. But that little rock, it's like the Messiah. It's like the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And though it looks small like a mustard seed, though it looks small like leaven in the dough, like it looks small, it hits at the foundation and the kingdoms of this world will crumble. But the kingdom of God and of his king will grow to fill all the earth. And it is a kingdom that is unshakable. This is Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is secure. It is unshakable. It is eternal. It is not going anywhere. So the question for you and I is, which kingdom are you building your life upon? Jesus is saying, dude, come and become a citizen of my kingdom. Yes, you are going to look strange in the eyes of the world. You're going to become a a strange citizen in the eyes of the world because uh, you're going to give your allegiance and your life to this upside down kingdom that doesn't operate off of the values and the norms and the ways that your culture around you might operate on, you're going to enter a kingdom that is not driven by the love of power, but by the power of my love. Jesus is inviting us to become strange citizens of his strange kingdom because we serve him as a strange king. If the irony is that what seems strange in the eyes of the world is actually what is normal in the kingdom of God. You know, Tom Brady, uh, they say that he, he, he just announced this last week that he's retiring. And they say that he kind of changed the mold of what's now expected of a quarterback. He kind of changed the rules of the game. And I, I think similarly, Jesus changed the rules. He changed the norm. He changed the mold so that it's not only for him, but for us as a people, what becomes normative in our life as the people of God, it should look strange in the eyes of the world, but it becomes normal routine in our life as God's people because we're living into the reality of his kingdom. And while Brady may have retired and while Napoleon and Charlemagne and all those guys are gone, I got news for you, and it's that Jesus is alive and well. Though he looks so weak and unassuming before Pilate, Pilate is now in his grave, and Jesus is exalted and alive, reigning over all of heaven and earth. And he has given you and I as his church his spirit. He has given us his presence. And that he can form his life in us, that we can become citizens who are not driven by the love of power, but by the power of his love. That we can become an embassy of his kingdom, a colony of the kingdom of God here amidst the empires of the world that says, this is what is true. This is what is unshaking when it's eternal. This is a rock that you can build your life upon, the love of Christ and the glory and power of God, because even though the the waves may come and may shake, they will crash up against that rock, but that rock, our Christ, is eternal. You can bank 
your life on him. You can build your life on him. And so I want to encourage you this morning that you can have confidence. Even when it feels like things around you are swirling. When you feel perhaps the pressures of our culture, maybe the pressures when you're in school and some of the things that have become normative in your circles around you, when you feel the pressure at work and some of the things that people are saying, the ways that you feel like I should acclimate this way, when you feel pressure, when you're just going, man, I don't know what to make of my life and its circumstances feel like the waves and the shifting sands are swirling around me, you can take confidence because Jesus' kingdom is eternal and it is secure. And when you build your life on him, you build your life on what is true. And you, take com- you can take confidence that it will win the day. <clears throat> are you building your life on kingdoms that are passing or the kingdoms that is eternal? Are you building a li- your life on what is true as your foundation? or the shifting sands around you. Yes, we are citizens of our country, so I'm not suggesting that we need to become unpatriotic or anything like that, but there's a question of lesser and greater. What has your highest allegiance? That our highest allegiance is the church, is to the kingdom of God and to Christ our Lord. And we can take confidence that his kingdom, it's not going anywhere. It's the rock that the waves of this world will crash upon, but they will ultimately recede back into the sea. We can build our life on him. So the invitation this morning is to come to the strange king. Our invitation as we come to communion this morning, to the bread and the wine, this is a sign of the, the body and the blood the strange king. This king who would step down from his heavenly throne to take on flesh and that he would give that flesh, that it would be broken for you, that he would give his blood, that his blood would be shed for you. That communion, this is the table that the king of the universe has prepared for you to feed you with himself. He invites you to this table, the most famous ruler in history. If you can imagine, we're, we're kind of going, who would you want to have dinner with? But would they want to have dinner with you? This is the king of all creation, and he wants to have dinner with you. He invites you to his table to feast with him. And the meal that he has prepared for you is that of his own life given, that he could fill you with his life and make you a citizen of his kingdom. And so I want to invite you this morning as we come to communion, I want to invite you to bring this morning, where are those areas right now where you feel the pressures and the shifting sands? Are are there shifting sands in your circumstances right now that just feel, man, God, it feels like things are just swirling around me. I don't know. What does it, how to handle this, what to make sense. Maybe it's pressures that you feel like in your family, in your workplace, and just broader around us. I want to invite you this morning to come to Christ, our King, who is stable 
and who is eternal. You can bank your life on him. You can build your life on him. And you can receive life from him. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, you are a strange king, Lord. We confess this morning ways that we have tried to fit you into boxes, God, that you don't fit into, God. Ways that we have maybe tried to make you like that Avenger king of power and we're just all going to take over, God, or, or ways that we've tried to fit you into the good vibes king who's just going to make our life perfect with no trouble or ways that we've tried to make you the, the homecoming king. It's all about just popularity, God. But I thank you, God, that even though you are not the king we expected, Jesus, that you are the king that we need. God, the king who would lay down your life for us, that we could receive life from you. God, what other king would lay down your life to atone for our sin and to prepare such a table as this? Jesus, we want to become citizens who accurately display your kingdom. Even if it makes us look strange in the eyes of the world, God, that we would build our lives on what is true, not on the shifting sands of our culture, not on the shifting sands of our circumstances, not on the the waves of fads that come and go. God, we confess, man, some some of these feel like hurricanes, man. God, we bring before you those areas in our lives where the wind seems strong and this seems like it's more than we can take and yet we bank our confidence on you, our rock. That these kingdoms have an expiration date, but yours is eternal. So God, build us as an embassy of your kingdom, God. God, even if it looks strange in the eyes of the world, we pray that we would be known, Jesus, as your church, not by our love for power, but by the power of our love, God. That Holy Spirit, it would be your love, the love of Christ, the King of heaven and earth, pouring your life through us to our neighbors, to our community, Lord, to each other, God, to the world. God, we, we want to display this strange kingdom, God, and pray that it would bring glory to you as the king of all of heaven and earth. Jesus, in your name that we pray, amen.